All right, so we're in Acts chapter 15, and today we're talking about conflict. Oh, wow. Um, there are lots of different approaches to dealing with conflict. We just saw a couple of them right there. Apparently, posterizing T-shirts is one of them. The key, however, is that we at least deal with conflict. Um, I asked you to talk about fights, maybe the best fight you've ever seen. Possibly it was one that you actually watched on TV. Um, maybe even last night, pay-per-view, I don't know. But maybe it was one that you were in. Maybe you saw the fight firsthand because you were beating somebody up. Maybe it was a verbal fight. I don't know. But all of us understand conflict, right? That's why you're not looking at the person next to you. Because they could be the source of it in your life. Who knows, right? Conflict. The important thing is that we learn how to deal with it from a biblical point of view, not like two-year-olds play hide-and-seek. How do two-year-olds play hide-and-seek? You count and they do this. And they're pretty sure you can't see them because they can't see you. That's not how we deal with conflict. We don't dig a hole, put our head in the sand, don't look at it and hope it goes away. That's not what God wants you to do. He didn't design us to run from conflict. What you're going to find out that today is actually he kind of designed you to handle conflict. Acts chapter 15. It's a great chapter in the Bible. It's included mainly just to show us how to handle conflict. And if we handle it biblically, sometimes it actually has two different outcomes. Because what you're going to see here in Acts chapter 15 is two different conflicts. Both of them handled biblically, and they don't turn out the same. One apparently turns out well, the other turns out horribly. So here's the goal this morning. Walk you through the conflicts, give you some, y'all like pictures? I like pictures. Give you some picture metaphors, okay? Because uh, probably when we get done and we go eat, because it's Cinco de Mayo. So is everybody going to the Mexican place today? Should we call ahead and warn them that we're coming? Party of 100, please. Um, you're going to forget the words, probably, but I'm hoping that you'll at least remember the images. I've got, we're not going to get to them yet, but I've got four images. So I'm going to talk to you for a second. We're going to talk through Acts chapter 15. By the time I'm done, you're going to be like, what? And then I'm going to show you four pictures. you go, oh, I get it. Okay? And then we'll go eat Mexican. So we're in Acts chapter 15. Uh, there's two conflicts here, two conflicts. If you've got a blank, it's conflict. That's what goes there, two conflicts. Um, let me tell you where the first one is. The first one is the first 35 verses. Let me just summarize what's going on. This one is primarily about salvation, and it involves spiritual matters, which is why all of you just went, yawn. But this is really important stuff. We've been walking through Acts, right? And so we've seen how over this first 14 chapters of Acts, Jesus is the gospel. He's the Savior, and that gospel has been preached to the Jews, and the Jews some of them hate it, right, because they don't want Jesus to be the Messiah. And some of them love it, but they're all Jews. And then we've started to see in the last couple of weeks that the gospel has been leaking out a little bit from the Jews to the, who knows the word, starts with G, ends with Isles. Gentiles, good. It's been leaking out to the Gentiles, and who's been having a problem with that? The Jews, okay? So we realize that nothing's really changed, right? Today we have Tar Heels and Wolfpack. Back then they had Jews and Gentiles. Okay, nothing's really changed. So this is a chapter where, again, this becomes an issue. And it doesn't just become an issue with a couple of people. It becomes an issue with the church. Like when it says stuff like in verse 1, some men came down from Judea to Antioch. What that really means is some officials from the Jerusalem Jewish church 
came down to Antioch, the wild child church, to have a discussion. Have you ever had a discussion with religious people? It doesn't normally go well. It usually goes like this. We're right, you're wrong, repent. And so they come down to, like, here's, here's what they lead with. Every guy in here, you're going to hate this. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. It's quiet. Except for some knives we're sharpening right now. Unless you're circumcised. I mean, can you imagine being a Gentile man? And having, like, hey, they're sending people down from Jerusalem. It's going to be awesome. Like, they're going to tell us what God's will is for our life. And these people stand up and go, um, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Do what? <laughs> Do what? It's not a good day in church. So at least the men in the house, you do understand that immediately there's conflict, right? I mean, that's conflict. Somebody stands up and says, we need to do surgery. Uh, no, we don't. Conflict. Okay? So this is the conflict. It's, it's primarily spiritual. Because the Jews had to be circumcised. That was in the Old Testament. That was the sign to the whole world that they were God's people. So they're like, hey, if we had to be circumcised, you have to be circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, you can't be like us because we're circumcised. We went through it. You're going to go through it. And all the Gentile men are going, no. So this is the conflict, okay? This is the basic idea of the first 35 verses in Acts chapter 15. One side wants to require it. The other side doesn't. This is the type of stuff that churches split over. But they don't split here. What they do is they have a conversation in hopes of working it out. Just jot down a couple of verses. Verse 1 and verse 5. That's where he mentions that they want them to be circumcised. And the conclusion of the matter, because Peter stands up and he says, Look, guys, I was like you, but I've been to the Gentiles. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's moving among the Gentiles. They're getting saved. It's really, really happening. And there's a couple of other brothers who've been out on the missionary field, and they're going, Yeah, we've seen it too. It's really happening. And so finally, this really smart guy stands up. I believe this is James. He stands up and he says, Look, here's the deal. Let's not make it hard, verse 19, let's not make it hard for the Gentiles to come to God. And I love that. Like, if there's a verse in the Bible you want to circle, that's a great one to circle. That was the conclusion of this matter. So they have this discussion. They don't pretend like it's not happening. They don't do the two-year-old hide-and-seek game. They actually, here's our idea, here's our idea, and here's the conclusion. They talked about it. This is conflict resolution in the Bible. And the conclusion of the matter was, verse 19, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who were turning to God. They tried to lessen the burden, and not surprisingly, the people were glad. Look at verse 31, the most underrated verse in the whole Bible. Uh, starting in verse 30, the men are going down. I know I'm flying through this. So I just want to make sure you get what the gist is of the conflict. The men have written a letter saying you don't have to be circumcised. And so verse 30, the men were sent off. They went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. So basically, you ever been to church camp? This is mail call. Mail call. They all come together. We got a letter. We got a letter. And by now, all the Gentile men are like, we can't wait to hear what this has to say. Because 
there, there's something riding on the letter, right? At least for the men who have to be circumcised in order to be saved. They're like, open the letter, read it. Nobody's breathing. And here's what they do. They read it in verse 31. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Parentheses, especially the guys. That was one day you have to try to get the men to praise in church. They were like, yeah, God is good. And I still can sing baritone. Sweet, right? No circumcision. That was the conclusion. It's safe to say that this conflict represents the best case scenario for resolution, right? One side says what they think and what they want. The other side says we don't agree. They have a discussion. They come up with this great idea. Kind of both that one wins and one wins and all the guys really win. Best case scenario. So I'm reading this chapter and I'm like, this is awesome. I get to share with the church like conflict resolution. This is fantastic, God. You want us to solve our conflicts and if we do it the right way, if we do it your way, God, it'll always work out fantastic. But then I had to read the end of the chapter. And like, if you have a Bible that has headers, the very next header is disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Verse 36. This is the second conflict in chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we've been preaching the word of God and see how they're doing. Verse 37. Barnabas thinks it's a great idea. And he wants to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39, I love this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. God, that's not how you end stories. Is it? I mean, this does not make me excited. The first one made me excited. They listened. They came to a compromise. It was fantastic. Now they have such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. They couldn't even work together. They were so mad. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Second conflict, verses 36 to 41. This is primarily over ministry, and this involves practical matters. Like, I don't trust you. You left me. And I'm not taking you. And Barnabas is the guy going, what about grace? Grace, 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 grace. Let's give him another shot. And Paul's like, no. Once a deserter, always a deserter. Now, you will find one of the coolest verses in the Bible. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you. It's at the end. I think it's in 2 Timothy. When Paul's at the end of his ministry career. And he actually writes in one of his letters, send for Mark. For he is beneficial to me in ministry. That's cool. Okay, so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind, all right? Because we're going to talk about a word called reconciliation, and I'm going to have to define what that means. We'll get to it in a minute. And you're going to, the whole time we're talking about it, you're going to be like, but they didn't reconcile. They parted company. They were so mad at each other, they just like parted. I mean, this would be like me and Phil having a big fight, which I would win, of course. And he like slings his guitar on his back and says, fine, well, then I'm taking him with me if you don't want him. And I'm like, fine, then you take him. And then he walks out, and I walk out, and then we both go on. But the difference is they both went on and had ministry for Jesus, okay? So they had conflict, 
It didn't resolve the way that maybe we would have liked it to have resolved. I think it's fair to say that this does not represent the best case scenario for conflict resolution. Okay, are you with me so far? We're getting close to the pictures. Aren't you glad? I told you you'd be like, what? Just show me some pictures, man. Just a couple things to take away from this. Number one, this is all in the number one, two conflicts. These were real conflicts, okay? In verse two, it says they had a sharp dispute. That's a Greek word. That Greek word is used throughout the New Testament for riots. Have you ever been in a riot? Anybody here remember the L.A. riots? Yeah, when they opened the door and they pulled out Reginald Denny and they started going off on him, you know they weren't talking, right? They weren't discussing differences. That's a riot. When it says they had a sharp dispute in verse 2, it's the same word in the Greek. It's used to describe riots. When you'll talk about Paul being in danger, we've talked about a couple times in Acts where he was in danger. They heard about it, and they would, like, let him outside down in a basket outside the window because they feared for him. Same word. He was in danger. This is a real big deal. These are real disputes. The way they were handled led to different outcomes. One had agreement, one had disagreement. But what I want you to understand is they both had the same growth for the kingdom. Verse 33, at the end of the first conflict, it says, After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and others taught and preached the word of the Lord. The gospel, after that first conflict, they're still preaching the gospel. The kingdom of God is still growing. And in verse 41, after the, the, the worst case scenario, hey, we have a conflict and we're splitting ways, it says that he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As we read through Acts, you'll read, we'll read more and more, like things that Barnabas was doing, things that Paul was doing. And you'll see how God still used both of them, okay? So agreement in one, disagreement in the other, but the one thing they have in common is the kingdom of God is still growing. So that says to me this. There's got to be a way to handle conflict in the body that can lead to the continued growth of the kingdom. There has to be a way. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four pictures, and here's what you'll notice. The first three, we'll use them a lot. The fourth one, not so much, but we probably should. Okay, so are you ready? Four metaphors. Here we go. Picture time. Here's the first picture. We're getting there. Boxing gloves. I'm just going gonna, gonna to fly through these, okay? Jot down what you can. What you can't remember, you can get off the Internet. You can download the outline later. Boxing gloves. Here's what this means. Here's a, this is a metaphor for how we can handle conflict. When you put on boxing gloves, this is fairly common. This one gets used a lot. One winner, right? Have you seen a boxing match? One winner. Usually it's the strongest. This type of conflict resolution involves lots of pain. Remember Rocky, all the Rocky movies? You remember Mr. T? Who remembers Mr. T? My prediction Pain. Yeah, Clubber Lang. He's pain. Lots of pain. I got more pain. This, this type of conflict resolution, this involves a lot of pain. Because you are jabbing and they are jabbing back. It's body blow after body blow. And the person who wins is the one that can last the longest. Usually it's the strongest person. So if you have a, if you have a really mild personality and you're fighting somebody that's got a really domineering personality, I can tell you right now who's winning. It's not this person. Okay, this is used all the time. Nothing spiritual about it. This is just real life. Okay, this is how most people handle conflict. They get into a ring and duke it out. 
If you work in the business world, you may very well work for um, a boss, and this is his way. This is his style of conflict management. He goes, oh, y'all don't agree? Duke it out. May the strongest one win, right? Survival of the fittest. The main motivation in this conflict resolution is confrontation. We are going to have it out. We're not going to pretend like it's not happening. Put on your boxing gloves. We're going for it. Okay, so just to recap this metaphor, boxing gloves. There's only one winner. It's usually the strongest. This type of conflict resolution involves lots of pain. The main motivation is confrontation. Here's another metaphor. This is also is fairly common. Megaphones. Megaphones. This also has usually one winner, and sometimes I will say this, it has no winner because sometimes people are just, you're, you're yelling through yours, they're yelling through theirs, neither one of you can hear what the other person's saying, okay? But if it does have a winner, it's usually the loudest. This involves lots of shouting. Some of you right now are thinking about the home you grew up in. You're like, that's my house. That was my family. Nothing ever got accomplished, but people yelled a lot. And this is really common. People use it all the time. If you're ever lucky enough to be in a public place, you'll see this used. Like parents will yell at their kids. Um, I've been in, you know, grocery stores and watched um, husbands yell at wives and wives yell back. And you're just like, I know I shouldn't be watching this, but I am and I want to video it. You know, because it's just like, wow, this is really awesome. They're both being total jerks and neither nobody's going to win. Right? You could almost say that this style has two losers. It involves lots of shouting. And the main motivation, here's the word for the day. Don't you love to learn vocab words? Because I had to come up with one that had Asian at the end of it, because you'll see how you'll hear a lot of those words today. But the main motivation here is proliferation. It's a great word. You should use that for your server. We would like you to prolifer prol proliferate <laughs> tea. <laughs> Maybe don't use that word. Proliferation. And all it means is you're just trying to get as much stuff out as you possibly can. And if you ever watch this technique be used, if you ever get to watch a, a fight between somebody who's shouting and somebody else who's shouting, they don't really hear anything that's being said. They're just trying to say all that they can. It's horrible. It's a horrible way to communicate. Now, I'm not saying it to make you feel bad. I'm just saying, like, if you're in a home where this is your style of conflict resolution, the good news for you is, but got in two more slides, a better way to handle it. This is not a good way to handle it. Now, you might shout at the beginning, and I think when it says in Acts 15, here's the good news. When it says they had a sharp dispute, and we talked about that's a rioting word, riots are not gentle. I, I don't think that Jesus ever meant for us to become saved and to follow him and have disagreements and just do this. I'll just write my answer on the paper and slide it across the table. I mean, I think sometimes our voices get a little bit raised, right? We get a little bit passionate about it. But if all we do is yell, if all we're doing is just proliferation, I'm going to get as much out as I can. I never want to hear what you have to say. Nothing's going to get accomplished. Both parties walk away feeling like, well, there you go. I said my piece. <laughs> yeah, everything's still screwed up. Awesome. So let's just sum this one up. Megaphones. There's usually one winner. It's usually the loudest. It involves lots of shouting. The motivation is prolifer pro proliferation, the word we can't say. Here's the third one. This is really good because we're in the South. Guns. 
guns. This one is less common because it usually involves death. And there is only one winner, and that winner is the fastest. Whoever strikes first. Okay? Think of a duel. Like, you don't want to be a slow guy when you're doing a duel, right? Ten. Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> you know, you got to whip that thing out and shoot. You don't even care if you're shooting the right person. You're just shooting. <laughs> you know, like, I won the duel, kill ten people, right? You just want to be fast. The winner of this type of conflict resolution is, is the fastest person. Whoever can get it out there first and shut the other person up. You're not even going back and forth anymore. I just want to nail you to the wall so you can't say anything. I, I will say this. This kind of um, conflict resolution, these are, you've heard of smoking guns. These are the people who have those. They're like, I know exactly what I can say that will so humiliate that person that they will shut up. Well, at least I didn't used to beat my wife. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, you win. That, that killed me, right? <laughs> See, this is great because this is so used in marriage. We all have, we know each other's laundry. We know the bad stuff, and we're so quick to bring it up. And it doesn't resolve anything. It just kills them. It definitely brings peace for a moment. Of course, if you're married, you know that spouses can rise from the dead, right? <laughs> as sure as the world, you will have that argument again, right? You might kill them for a moment, but they will be back. It has, it has one winner. It's usually the fastest. This type of conflict resolution involves lots of blood. And the main motivation is retaliation. I'm so mad at you. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about guns is you can actually use this from a distance. You don't have to really get involved. I'm so mad at you. I was sitting last night, um, yesterday, watching a 30 for 30 on ESPN. I just happened to stumble across it, and it was um, back in, God, I want to say it was in the 90s, and uh, soccer player Escobar scored an own goal. And so I think the U.S. beat him one to nothing. This was in Colombia which is a big deal down there, right? And he got murdered. He got murdered because he scored his own goal. This kind of stuff, they didn't know him. They just got in an argument, and that came up, and so the gun comes out, and <laughs> six gunshots, you're dead. And I'm like, we're all in there watching it, my kids, and they're like, wait, he scored a goal for his own team, and they killed him? I know, it doesn't make sense, does it? Because this kind of does, doesn't make sense. It's just retaliation. You have ruined me, and I'm going to retaliate against you. I don't want to hear your reasoning. I don't want to give you any leeway to get out of it. I just want to kill you. And I know that's really hard to think about because we don't, we don't want to think that we'd ever argue this way, that we'd ever try to resolve conflict this way. But, you know, the end of this is church splits. I don't care why you want to have yellow carpet. I just think you're stupid. Well, I'm going to have my yellow carpet. Lots of it. At the church that I'm going to build right down the street. It's going to cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I will beat you. And people will come visit my church. We'll call it the church of the yellow carpet. <laughs> people will pee on it and they won't even know. <laughs> we will have mellow yellow in the sanctuary. And three years later, you have a church with yellow carpet. Nobody's in it. 
you're bankrupt, church you left is bankrupt. I mean, everybody loses. Just retaliation. I don't want to hear your reasoning. I just want you to be quiet. So we wouldn't actually pull out a gun, I don't think. I'm hoping not. If you've got a gun right now, put it away. I don't want to be killed. We wouldn't actually pull a gun out, but we would use this form. You see what I'm saying? So here's, here's just the three metaphors that we use most. Boxing gloves, megaphones, and guns. Here's the one that we use the least, but this is the one that was used in Acts chapter 15. The cross. This is God's form of conflict resolution. It's the cross. This is very uncommon. The great thing about the cross is there can be many winners, and it's usually the meekest. So let's define meekest, okay? Because right now, like all the guys are like, I don't want to be meek. I'm a man. Well, yeah, but meekness is power under control. Meekness is a man who says, I know I'm a man, but I can't fix this. I need to submit. I need to humble myself to this. That's meekness. This type of conflict resolution involves lots of grace. And the main motivation is reconciliation. That's a big word, okay? Reconciliation. So, here's what we know just from Acts 15. If reconciliation is the goal, and I tell you that both of these conflicts were ended with reconciliation... If you're like me, you're going, no, no, one of them was. Because the Gentile men didn't have to have surgery. So that one ended well. That was reconciled. But the other one wasn't reconciled because Barnabas went this way and, and Paul went this way. And they're like split. And that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is making things right. It's not becoming BFFs. It's making things right. Why did God honor Paul and Silas, and why did he honor Barnabas and Mark? For one reason and one reason only. Because they didn't leave bitter. They left reconciled. And now their reconciliation was this. You, you love this phrase? We agree to disagree, right? We agree to disagree. So I don't, I'm never going to see it the way you see it. He's not useful to me. You think he is. We can't fix this. But you know what? You can go your way. And I'll go my way, and I'll pray for you, and you pray for me. Cue the Michael W. Smith music. Awesome moment. The main motivation of the cross is always reconciliation. So, two conflicts, four metaphors, one application. Number three, there's one application, and there's only one. There's no other application than this. And you're probably going to hate it. The application is talk. Let me throw some scriptures at you. Matthew 18, 15. The application is to talk. We should talk to each other, not about each other. Now, let me just say this right up front. I should, well, up front would have been 15 minutes ago. But When preachers start preaching about stuff like this, this is one reason I, I love going like through a book because we come across Acts 15, there's conflict, we get to talk about conflict because typically if I'm teaching you on conflict, here's what you're sitting there thinking. Who's mad at who? Somebody's ticked off in this place. Well, not necessarily, but probably. Does that make sense? How do I know that? Because there's more than one person here. 
<clears throat> we've talked about that before you get one person you're okay but you get more than one person on it's like we bump into each other there's conflict right so i don't know i mean it's possible that you're fixing to take a gun out and use that method on somebody across the room i have no idea if you did bring boxing gloves to church i'd pay to watch but i don't know if there's i don't know that i'm just saying if there's people in the room there's probably going to be conflict so i'm not preaching this at you because you got conflict i'm just saying this is what happens and what typically happens in churches we talk about each other not to each other and we convince ourselves that that's okay we convince ourselves that god understands well god you understand i i don't want to tell them because that would hurt their feelings so i'll just go tell these 20 people as if somehow that won't hurt their feelings i'm just i got their best interest at heart no you're sinning is what you're doing it's called gossip. It's not the way you handle conflict. It's the way you create more conflict. Biblically, Matthew chapter 18. Let's read verse 15. Matthew 18, great, great chapter on how to handle conflict. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Now, how many of you right now, are, you're on board with that right away? I'll do that. I mean, I, I have a hard time living out the Bible, but, Lord, I will live that one out. If my brother sins against me, I will go show him his fault. We're, now, we do live that. We're good at that, right? But, again, the goal is, what is the goal? What's the goal of the cross? Reconciliation, okay? Not to expose them. Not to show the world what a jerk they really are, but to reconcile, okay? So if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens, you have won your brother over. Now, let me just kind of paraphrase that. Put it in today's language. If your brother sins against you, go talk to him. Show him what he did was wrong. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, shut up. Because what we do is, I went to Phil. I told him, dude, you got to quit fixing your hair like that because it is driving me nuts. You are, what's wrong with you? And he said, I never knew it bothered you. I will, I will do it different and wear different glasses. I'll, whatever you need, I'll do it. That's awesome. Fist pump. And I go right over here. Michael, dude, guess what? Phil, man, I went and talked to him. He's an awesome guy. Did you hate his hair? We relive the victory. If he repents, shut up. It's over. I mean, there are people in today's society reliving victories all the time. That's not reconciliation. That's one of the other three. So we're supposed to talk. That's the application. To each other, not about each other. We're supposed to talk to each other's each other with others if necessary. Those are the next two verses. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. We love that step. We just start there first. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now listen, we're talking about church discipline here, okay? 
and that's hard. But let me tell you the end result of church discipline when it's done right. And, and I've, not, I've not been in many churches that do it right, okay? But my mom, my mother-in-law goes to a church that tries to, they try as best they can to practice church discipline. And so they actually, they, they had a guy come up and stand in front of the, the church. And he just, I, I just need to, I need to confess this. Because he wouldn't confess and, and they had this conversation. They went to him first, and they're like, you know, dude, you're addicted to porn. you got to stop this. I do not. And they took two or three people with them. Dude, you're addicted to porn. I mean, you've got to stop this. This is a sin against God. It's ruining your marriage. Your wife is going to leave you. I do, I do not have to stop, and I will not stop. And the next step was they stood up in front of the church. And he was not there, and they just said, look, we just got to let you know this. We've had two conversations with this brother, and he, he will not repent. And we cannot act as if this is not happening. We want him to repent. When you see, you, he, you can't act like it's not going on. We can't, I don't see you. I'm two years old and hide my eyes. But what they didn't do was stand up in front of the church the very first time and say, guess what? Joey's a pervert. We've all known it. We're just going to throw it out there. They didn't do that. Do you see how the heart of God is to keep it personal as long as possible? We want to jump to the end. So talk to each other, not about each other. Talk to each other with others if necessary. Let me just throw this in there, okay? I'm going to read you some verses that we love, especially if you're a prayer warrior. Verses 18 says this, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You possibly have heard people pray, and you'll hear them say things like this, we just bind you right now in the name of Jesus. We, you know, and that's awesome. That's where it comes from. Again, verse 19, I tell you there's two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for. It'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Verse 19, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth, it will be done. That's the biblical to-do list. Okay? Two, <laughs> two, get it, do. But here's what I want you to understand. That happens after what we just talked about. So you can stand all day long and grab people's hands and agree on stuff to happen, but if you're not living out Matthew 18, those first three verses, ain't none of that going to happen. Because the reason that's in there is God says, look, handle conflict the right way so you can stand unified and pray. And when you stand unified and pray, I got good news. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you lose, loose in heaven. Two of you agree, done. And we say, God, I've been praying with people. We've been agreeing. Nothing's happening. Maybe you got conflict in your life and you're not handling it the way the Bible says. Maybe. And in Matthew chapter 5, we're supposed to talk. That's the application, the main application. We talk to each other, not about each other. We talk to each other with others if necessary. But we talk to each other even before we worship Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is talking. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This matters so much to God. It's like, you know what? 
put pause on the worship and go take care of this. Here's what we do. We, me too. We try to worship our way out of that conversation. Oh, man, church was so good this morning. I mean, man, Jen, she's saying it, break every chain. That song gets me going like I'm a white dude rocking back and forth. It was awesome. And then we walk out and get in the car, and we see like we had a text from that jerk. Oh, God, I got to deal with this now. We are so backwards. Like if I worship hard enough, God will poof, make that go away. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no poofing, no poofing. Just stop singing. Shut up and go take care of that and then come back. First go be reconciled and then come back. So we're backwards. We're backwards. And that's sometimes why we don't have the blessing of God in our life. We're just a little bit backwards. (laughs) You always knew you were backwards. Well, you knew your spouse was. Now you know it's true. So Matthew 5, 24, it reveals the heart of God and his goal. His goal is reconciliation. It's more important than our worship. It's more important than our prayers. It starts with talking with the cross in mind as two forgiven followers of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't get anything else out of today, that's a really good tip. When you have to deal with conflict in the church with a brother, with a family member, and you're both believers, talk to each other like you're both believers. Like Jesus died for you i mean i'm fixing to kill you and he died for you and sometimes that's all it takes you start wait a second he loves you too i mean you might want to be honest and say that blows my mind right (laughs) that blows my i can't believe he loves you but he does so here's a good little sentence to write down and i'll explain it we're almost done isolation leads to rationalization conversation leads to reconciliation isolation leads to rationalization and conversation leads to reconciliation i told you there's a ton of asian words in here today and here's what i mean by that when we have conflict our typical response is we back up we pull the blinds down and we have a conversation with that person in our head we isolate from them and who wins that argument every single time you do because you're right anyway and you know what they would say. I mean, if they were, they would, you know, you say, well, I can't believe you, you barred my, my car and you put a dent in it. And God, I can't believe it. And in your mind, you kind of hear them going, oh, you're so right. Oh, God, what a horrible friend I am. And so when you isolate and you have this little argument in your mind, you rationalize your part in it. I mean, I was just being a good friend. You know, yeah, I, I, I Okay, I forgot to tell them, like, when you're shifting from second to third, sometimes it sticks and it slips, and if you're not ready for that, it can cause your car to veer and you might hit a tree. Forgot that, but hey, I mean, everybody makes mistakes. But they put a dent in my car. And you rationalize it. But conversation can lead to reconciliation. I can't believe you put a dent in my car. Well, I was just driving, and I shifted from second to third. I didn't mention that second to third thing. No? What, what is that thing? Oh, sometimes it slips. You can lose control, hit a tree. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I didn't, yeah, if you'd have told me that, I'd have been more careful that second to third thing. I'd have just skipped straight to fourth. I mean, I know this is crazy, just crazy example, but you get what I'm saying, right? When we have conversations, it allows us to see the other side. It, it opens the door to reconciliation. So here's the big idea for today. Conflict handled biblically. Conflict 
handled biblically means the gospel wins even if we don't. Conflict handled biblically means the gospel wins even if we don't. And I want you to know we really think hard about these um, big ideas, okay? We try not to just throw them out there. So we did. We talked a good bit about do we say that the gospel wins, we lose? I mean, that's really hard to wrap your brain around, right? But it is. We just saw it in Acts 15. Did the Jews lose something? Yeah, they lost the right to say, you have to get circumcised. Did the Gentiles lose something? Well, yeah, because the letter they wrote, they mentioned four things that they could no longer do. And I was going to talk about those, but I don't know what they mean. I mean, I know the kind of, but it's not the point. They had to, there was compromise there, right? Sometimes we don't win, but the gospel can still win. With Paul and with Barnabas, they split. It meant separation from each other. They did lose a friend. They lost a ministry partner. But the gospel won. And when conflict is handled biblically, the gospel wins, even if we don't. Here's what it could mean for you this morning. It could mean that it's time for you to start talking to people, especially in light of the fact that we're going to have communion. 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29. He says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Dang, he just said that. So this morning, I mean, one of the things that we, maybe we should do this morning is this. Before you ever stand up to take a piece of bread off and dip it in the cup, we should ask ourselves, not have I done something to hurt somebody, because that's easy, right? We, we do know that when we've messed something up and hurt somebody. But the verses we read is maybe we should ask God, God, do I feel like there's something between me and somebody? Do I need to work this out? You know, we were at a, a youth retreat, and Phil taught this, this passage. And, and, and basically what we said was, you know what? Before we do anything else in this retreat, you need to call the people that have offended you and just try to be reconciled. God was powerful. Teenagers like on the like I can use the cell phone, calling, hey dad, and just having a conversation, writing letters. If they couldn't mail them, at least writing a letter, just talking about it, being reconciled. It's a big, big deal to God. This morning it could mean that you need to be reconciled to God. It could mean that most of the problems that you have with men are coming from the fact that you're far from God. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verses 18 and 19. Here's good news for us. Paul says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Possibly this morning, that's what you need to do. You need to reconcile yourself back to God. I've got a, a clip of an, of an audio. Uh, I heard a message this week. It was a great message. And this story was in it. And I thought, I could tell the story. I'll botch it. So we're going to try. I think it's going to work. Yeah. We're going to try to play it for you. Um, and this is how we'll kind of prepare our hearts for communion, okay? I just want you to hear this story. I want you to understand how desperately the Father wants to be reconciled to you. 
And because he wants to be reconciled to us this strongly, he wants us to be reconciled to one another just as strongly. Because then we're going to take communion, which is the perfect symbol of how far he went to do that. Okay? You good? Here we go. Uh, one of our um, missionaries in our movement, Todd Adams, shared this story with us recently, and it was powerful. He's uh, one of our missionaries in Indonesia, and, and uh, he was traveling with his family um, from the Ivory Coast to Mali, West Africa, and they stopped alongside the road, and, and he sent his wife in um, to get some fruit for the family. She hopped out, and hot African sun blazing down on them, and they left the car running, and, and while she was in the shop, uh, a, a car pulled up behind them, and three armed men jumped out and surrounded their vehicle. They ripped open the car door and shoved a gun to Todd's head. In that moment, he looked into the man's eyes, and the man asked him a question, do you want to die? And he realized this was real, and that his family was caught in the middle of it. And all he could think was, I have to save my family. He had three kids in the car, and he reached for one of his daughters, Emily, and threw her out of the car. He looked ahead, and about 100 yards up, there was a police post. And he began screaming and shouting, hoping the police would hear and, and come to his rescue. But they did not. Men jumped into the car, grabbed his arm, threw him out, and drove off with his oldest son, Sully, and youngest daughter, Jordan, still inside the car. And as they drove off, as a father of those children, he sat on the side of the road with this sense of utter despair, wondering, God, how will I ever get my kids back? But because of the police post, um, these men made a U-turn, and he realized for a brief moment they had to come back his way. And this is what he shared with us. With all my strength, I ran and I dove onto the back of that car and grabbed onto the spare tire as they sped down the road. He clawed himself on that vehicle, and inside the car he saw his two children. I could see my son Sullivan, who was six years old at the time, weeping and crying and trying to do something to get out. Even as those thieves were seeking to steal my own children, my beloved son and my daughter. Everything that I could do as a father in that moment, I was willing to do. I remember saying to God, today's a good day to die, and this is a good purpose to die for. And I will give myself for my children. God in His mercy allowed for those men to throw my kids out of the vehicle, so I jumped off. But to this day, he says, when I see the eyes of the lost generation all around me, I see the eyes of my little boy who longs for his father to rescue him. Can we just sum today up with this? God went to great lengths to reconcile you to him. And he would like you to go to great lengths to reconcile yourself to his body. And so this morning, when we come to take communion, if you need to reconcile, maybe you don't. Maybe today it's just Acts 15 for our church, and that's just where we are, and next week we'll be in Acts 16 and move on. But 
if you need to reconcile, reconcile. If you need to step outside and get on your cell phone, make a phone call. Step outside. Get on your cell phone. Make a phone call. It's so important that we handle conflict biblically. And when we do that, the gospel wins, even if we don't. <laughs>